This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is episode two of 5th Avenue Faceoff. I'm your intrepid host, Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. We talk pens. We talk hockey. And... Just because it's the bye week and the all-star break doesn't mean there isn't plenty to talk about, especially in regards to the Penguins, because there is. You've got Brian Burke speaking in defense of his coach. You've got Ron Hextall. I'm sure he's doing something somewhere. Uh, You've got Mike Sullivan probably sitting around watching reams of film, trying to figure out how the heck to get more production out of his bottom six. You've got Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin working together. I don't know if I can handle this. It's like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man when they came together. Uh, It just makes my brain hurt. Uh, And you've got all the stuff that you have to question as we get ready for the stretch run of the NHL season and the Penguins sit there on that precipice final team in the Eastern Conference standings that would be in the playoffs right now, but trying to extend that that NHL record streak of making the playoffs, what would be a 17th straight time. Uh, we will talk to Jenna Harner of 11 on the Ice, WPXI, in just a few moments. But we start with my friend Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Happy to have him here, Jesse. Thanks for being a part of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Um, this is huge. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you, man. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, anytime, man. It's always good to get to talk hockey with you whenever we can get the time to do it. So I'm happy to happy to be on the show. Absolutely. And I'm sorry we couldn't do it on what for us would be a Wu-Tang Wednesday. There's always a chance. There's always a chance that someone's listening to this on the following Wednesday. And so in Jesse's honor, please, I don't care if it's, I, I, I don't know. Anything really from the 36 chambers would be solid enough. You can even do liquid swords. We'll, we'll take that. Okay, we'll take yep, that. We'll take and that. It, just listen to it in the background on another device while you also listen to us talk about hockey. And I, I'm, I'm approaching things sort of from this direction with every guest, even though I, I'm, I'm trying to get the, the smartest of the Penguins insiders on uh, to talk about the Penguins specifically. I also think it's valuable for people that, I don't know, I, I don't know how in the world a Penguins fan would just be getting to know you now, Jesse, maybe a younger Penguins fan, but I think it's valuable for them to know what brings us to hockey in the first place. And so for a kid who you, you grew up, spent most of your, your childhood and adolescence in Beaver County, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was it that got you into hockey first? We'll get to the analytics and the video breakdowns and all that in just a minute. But what was it for a young Jesse Marshall that made you say, God, I, I love this, especially during what, like the, the X generation years. I mean, when you were a kid, this, these, there were some hard times in the mix. 
Yeah, I think that came later. I I was old enough. I'm early '80s birth date, so I'm old enough to remember okay. the the good stuff too, right? Um, that's probably where it starts. To be frank with you, Chris, you know, my dad. I remember the Cup Finals series were Central Time, right? So Minnesota and mm-hmm. Chicago, both those series were an hour late um, when the games were on the road. So I my mom wasn't making an exception for that as far as like bedtimes were concerned. So I, uh, my dad would write little box scores, you know, for me and like track, you know, who scored and like where things were going. And, um, and then it was, you know, so much is your environment too. My friends that I grew up with in my neighborhood, like Taki, that's what they did. And I think I, you know, kind of just came along with that, but it was always a niche sport. You know, I thought that was always cool. Right. Um, it's less cool now when you look at it from a business perspective, but, um, you know, growing up as a kid, like, you know, there was this tight group of people that liked Taki. It wasn't like this widespread super popular thing, despite how good the penguins were. So um, I think it was just that I was around, you know, who I knew the people I was hanging out with. Um, I got into playing it that way. And uh, it kind of just spiraled from there. Yeah. Were you like me? Like I didn't learn to skate until I was 12, almost 13. And I would have to ride a, a Pat bus from North Baldwin all the way down to the Neville ice arena on the South side on Saturday mornings to take skating lessons. And I didn't own skates. So I'd have to take the figures, the rental figure skates from the counter, which was like super embarrassing for me, but street hockey was the intro to the game when I was a kid and you'd get your Sherwood right with the plastic blade and you'd bend it, get the banana curve going there. And uh, somebody would shoot a ball over the net. You'd have to run two blocks to go get it. Uh, Yeah. The plastic me like pads, Yes. Uh, on the street surface, you glide across side to side like you were on ice. Uh, yeah, that those are good times, man. That's that's same for me. I started on the street, uh, and then uh, I was just such a terrible skater. Period. It didn't really matter. <laughs> it wouldn't matter when I started. You know, I was having this uh, conversation with Justin uh, uh, Bourne up in Canada. Uh, we were talking about the reasons why we never played hockey professionally, and mine was just I couldn't even. You know, I was just so bad. Was just, there was no saving it. You know, it's like my golf game. You can't save the swing. It's uh, it's that terrible. So do teach or whatever right so that's um i think where my interest in learning about how the game was played developed because if i didn't know where i was supposed to be and what i was supposed to be doing i was lost (laughs) like i had to study harder uh to make up for the lack of uh physical athletic attributes that i had going on do you ever find yourself wondering though like what if i had been put on the ice and skates from like the age of two like they do up in canada like i see for example um Jared Kiso from Letterkenny and Shorzy. Like I watch him skate as the Shorzy character in Letterkenny doing all the crazy backwards crossovers. And then I'll get out there during a public skate at Ice Castle with my kid. And my kid's making fun of me because I'm this close to falling down half the time. Um, And I wonder, man, if only I would have been thrown on the ice when I was like two, maybe I would have been okay. Uh, I'd have been better. But I don't yeah. wouldn't have, yeah. I'd be here. Put it this way, Chris. I'd be playing in B as opposed to D on my beer leg nights. That's pretty much okay. I think it's about the difference that you get out of Maybe. it. It's negligible at best. We'll put what, it that way. What more do you want? Maybe you get an that's it, eight yeah. or I'd nine be, o'clock to be ice. a ringer. That's all. That's all we right. could ever hope for. Right. To get to get an eight or nine o'clock ice time instead of a midnight or 1 a.m. Ice yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So you do an amazing job digging inside numbers. You always have when it comes to the game of hockey, the advanced analytics and metrics that get used. Um, And so for Penguin fans that are looking at the way this team has played up to the bye week in the all-star break, who are looking at it saying, man, what gives me hope that this team can be more than another round one and done early exit to the playoffs, even if they do get goaltending, right? Which they haven't the last couple of years in the first round of the playoffs. Tell me what numbers 
should give us hope. They're a top 10 team. This Penguin squad is uh, among uh, NHL clubs with regards to their ability to create quality scoring chances. And like for those people that might be listening to this and don't know a lot about analytics, you see the word expected goals thrown around all the time. That's all it is. It's a measure of quality scoring chances. It's looking at the areas of the ice that you're getting shots. What are the kind of shots? Are they, are they one timers? Are they breakaways? Uh, Not every shot is created equal. So we're assigning value to this, uh, these shots based on history, based on all the things that have happened uh, in the league leading up to today and what those historic scoring rates have looked like. The Penguins are pretty good at that. They're, they're Frankly, they're among some of the best teams uh, in the league. I mean, they're they're in the mix. You know, here, their peers, frankly, are, are Calgary, Toronto, and Tampa. And mm. I think we'd all both agree those are really good offensive Good company. Yeah, yeah, good company to be in. Now, the flip side of this coin is less – uh attractive in that they're no longer they're not a top 10 team with regards to their ability to prevent uh quality on the other side and that's what really knocks them down uh out of that elite company of teams that can control shot quality i think they're 14th overall but they're sixth if you just look at them offensively right so they got to tighten it up defense that's really where where they're hurting their goaltending we'll get into that i'm sure um, their their defensive play, all that has been pretty far below the line, and it it kind of cancels out how good they are offensively speaking. So that being said, you, you talk about the goaltending and the way I see them play, and tell me if the numbers back this up, the way I see them play in front of Tristan Jari is a night and day difference to the way they play in front of Casey DeSmith. We'll remove Dustin Tokarski's limited amount of time between the pipes from this equation. Um, so that tells me that if they continue to play in front of Jari the way they have and perhaps improve in the expected goals against department while continuing to produce expected goals for at the rate they have at this point. You mentioned the the company they're in, top 10 in the league. That tells me that you've got a team, much like last year, that should be able to push through one round of the playoffs. We know last year was more about injury to Casey DeSmith than Louis Domingue and Spicy Pork and Broccoli and all that, and then Sidney Crosby and Jacob Truba. You can put it on a number of different factors that don't necessarily get folded into the numbers, but that tells me that they could be able to get beyond the first round if they're not pigeonholed into one of these wild card spots where they're going to have to play a juggernaut Bruins team or a very, very good Hurricanes team. Yeah, and, and how good is the team they're playing, Chris, and how in terms of their ability to roll lines? I think that's really what you get into. Is You look at Carolina, that's a four-line hockey team right? Uh, mm-hmm. That coaching staff will deploy lines one through four, uh, however, in a confident manner, any way they need to situationally. Their Penguins are not even close to there right now. That's, that's, I and mean, I'm sure we'll get into the bottom six, but um, that's the concern. You know, I, there is a dichotomy. You mentioned this dichotomy between the goaltenders. I have to address this for a minute because you're right. There is a dichotomy between the way the Penguins play in front of Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith's play is still below the line, right? Like we, yeah. we could create an expectation for that. It's still, it's still not where it needs to be. Jari's on the other hand has been way above the line for the most part of the season. Um, and if he can stay healthy, you know, I, I think this is a team in past years and it may be true again this year that could potentially win with just slightly above average goaltending. It doesn't even have to, you know, if they could just get some normalcy at the position, right? A touch of normalcy at the position could be all they need. Um, that top six, we know it's legitimately good, right? Mm-hmm. We know it's good. And if it gets hot, who knows what could happen, but, 
if they struggle in any way, shape, or form, Chris, the the ask on the bottom six at that point becomes so large. Just, I, I can't see them doing anything but crumbling in the face of it. So I, I want to ask you about the bottom six and what changes between now and mid-April to make it more relevant. But before that, look, it, this is an intangible question, and you are a master of well tangibles, right? Like numbers, video, uh, which we'll get to in a second. The the video breakdowns you do for the athletic uh, are masterful. But the, the intangible question here is why? Why do they play more buttoned up playoff style Mike Sullivan hockey in front of the goaltender they don't need to necessarily play it in front of and more fire wagon, uh, wildcat all over the place hockey? I mean, that Sharks game was just mind numbing. I was in the stands for it. I couldn't believe how, how Evgeny Malkin was consistently handing the puck to San Jose more than his teammates. Why do they do that in front of the goaltender who needs the more stingy play in front of? I would argue they don't. Okay. Um, they're, they're losing more with the other goaltender. Um, when you're losing, what happens? You know, you, you add a fourth forward and via activating your D. You mm. press, you pinch, you become vulnerable defensively. Um, all of that is score effects, we call it, Chris, right? Like when you're trailing, the statistics in the game start to look different. It almost looks like you took a take a three nothing game for example, right? In a three nothing game, it might if you just isolate on the results, it might look like the losing team is just caving the other one in, right? right. When in reality, was the other one's protecting their lead, right? And I think that the data here is skewed by the fact that Casey DeSmith um, has been kind of bad. I think at times, um, I know that you know recently and especially in the last couple of weeks, I don't I don't know that I blame him as much because you know things have kind of deteriorated a little bit more defensively in general uh but that's just to me that's the story here right um the penguins are chasing they're pressing they're trying to catch up and that makes the data look kind of ugly uh as a result so i don't think that they're discernibly doing anything different other than reacting to the environment okay so that being said what do you see in the video that you've broken down that tells you okay this team can get something more out of the bottom six as it currently exists and if you see that, what gives you hope for it? And I, I guess the counterpoint would be, and the counterpoint to a double-barreled question would be, what tells you they have to make a move before March 3rd for that bottom six? So the problem here, right, is that you, I think you have to make a series of moves, right? Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's the troublesome part, is you can't solve this problem uh, in one fell swoop. Um, but I, I'll start with a guy like a Teddy Borger, right? Um, generally throughout the course of his career in Pittsburgh has been offensively deficient. You know, that's never been why you've relied on Teddy Bluger, but now that defensive magic gone, you know, this is a player who for several years was in the 99th or 100th percentile in defensive metrics of the national hockey league, make that 60 now, mm -hmm. which means almost half the league is putting out better defensive numbers or equal numbers to what Teddy Bluger is giving you. And the fact that he's got no even strength goals, you know, hey, that's that's concerning, right? So yeah. you got to make consider maybe you make a move there. Jeff Carter, what do you do about Jeff Carter? I don't know, honestly, Chris, that there's any solution to that problem, right? Brock McGinn, same thing. Like, are, are you going to move Brock McGinn and Teddy Bluger together? Like, are you are you making two separate moves now? Like, I I just think, you know, we can look at some of these players, you know. Um, and, and take a look at what kind of value they're giving the Penguins, right? And all these names I'm bringing up, like 
Carter, negative contract value for the Penguins. Kapanen, mm -hmm. negative contract value for the Penguins. McGinn, negative contract value for the Penguins. All to almost the exact same tune. So, you know, you asked me what needs to happen, Chris. I wish you could fix, you could overhaul the whole thing. Right. <laughs> like, who's safe at this point down there? You know, I don't know. And I, in the economic condition that we're in, the way that the cap situation is across this league, it moves in general are going to be difficult to come by, let alone trying to pull off two or three of them in, in one offseason. And I'll add this, not to be Debbie Downer here, but you don't have the prospect capital, right? You talk about like, look at what Bo Horvat just fetched, right? The Penguins don't have a ratty in their system prospect-wise. They don't even have the prospect chip that would have put them in that conversation. I mean, I guess it could be Owen Pickering, right? But then now you're, you know, now what are we doing? So, uh, I, they're, you know, just they're not in the big conversations, Chris. And I, I, if they're going to be in the little conversations, they have to be in a lot of them if they want to address that problem. So if that's the case, I mean, Ron Hextall, I don't think is ever going to do this, but would he be willing to make, I guess, what you would consider a trade to sacrifice something in the top six in order to bring something back on the bottom six. That seems counterintuitive to me, not just given the way Hextall works, but then again, you're talking about a Ron Hextall who has followed the organization's directives to be all in on now. Um, is there a way he can be all in on now? It sounds like no. Uh, it would have to, for me again, be a situation where you're taking multiple competent NHL players, Chris, mm -hmm. lumping them all together to, to net a return. And now you're talking about like, is the sum of what you're bringing in greater than the sum of what you're sending out? And yeah, I, probably not, right? Like if you're looking to make a real blockbuster deal and, and shake things up to that, ex to that effect, um, you're talking about having to maybe throw a defenseman into the mix. You're which could be not a bad thing, right? Like if you're trying to solve your Brian Dumoulin problem and things of that right. nature. But, you know, I, I, you have to, the, the scales there are going to be tough to equal out. And it's, you, you still have the picks, right? Great. That's good. And I don't think they're going to have any qualms about just spending carelessly there because, you know, um, I got I to gotta be frank with you again here, Chris. Like, what, look at, you know, judge them by what they've done. Have they hit any home runs? Um, no. And pick, no. I mean, look at Tristan, look at Tristan Brouts. Like, that you could argue there, aside from his four goal night last week, um, that's the most notable thing he's done in two years in college, other than transferring. So I think, so you know, I, you know, there's no sweetener. You know, you have the picks, you don't have the prospect sweeteners. I think it's just he has put himself to me, Chris, where he really needed to make his impacts was in free agency, mm -hmm. and he did. And I think he chose poorly in a lot of areas and addressing those decisions on the fly now in the economic climate, not so easy. So we'll say a little prayer to 87 and hope that he can drag them kicking and screaming with some help from the goaltending and hopefully Gino and Tanger not turning the puck over in bad spots to the second round and then see what happens. Here's the good news. <laughs> I'll finally give you some because I feel like this is- Thank you. Yeah. Um, among <laughs> among forward groups, right, that have played at least, filtering out to team significant minutes, right? Like looking at like, 300 400 minutes together as a group crosby gensel raquel um it hasn't produced the goals yet chris and i know people hate hearing this mm -hmm. they don't like when i say this stuff but they're in the top three in the league in their ability to generate quality shots and in a, on, a, on a marathon scope of a season i'll take those odds with them that yeah. they're gonna bust out and the goals are gonna come um you you build the that's a that's a foundation built on rock right like that you can 
rest your head. Sidney Crosby always says um, it's so much easier to go through a period where you're not scoring when the chances are there, right? You know that you can eventually convert, but um, that that the strength of that unit, I think when they're together, just can't be understated. They'll go head to head with some of the best groups in the league and control the game uh, and even strength uh, with the best of them. So looking forward, I mean, that's the way it's going to have to be. We're used to it, I think, um, in Pittsburgh, but I think even more so than perhaps usual, uh, the burden on the top six is a little bit greater. Jesse, I won't keep you any longer. Uh, thanks for giving me just a few minutes talking things from an analytic point of view, a video breakdown point of view, and uh, just in general trying to help me. You were supposed to make me feel better, man. I, yeah. Jeez. I know. But, oh, well. Um, they brought they, they kept the band together. This is what we get when you keep the band together, that the band better play some really good tunes and not, you know, not stumble out there half drunk and, I don't know, play all the stuff from the new album. So well, the band, yeah, the band's been pretty good. It's just they're the the guys they've got as DJs haven't been uh, haven't been as good. Too much air horn, Chris. That's what it is. We don't ever want it. You know, they're just that air horn blasting all the time. Yeah, yes, them, too much. Let them flow a little bit, you know. Too too much air horn. You're right, Jesse. Thanks again for the time. Appreciate you being on Fifth Avenue Face Off, and we reserve the right to bother you again to come on sometime soon. Anytime. Yep, absolutely. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This, this is 5th Avenue Face-Off. Welcome back in. It is 5th Avenue Face-Off. I am Chris Mack of The Fan Morning Show on 93.7 The Fan. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. All those fun places where you get all the fresh and hot, spicy hockey takes. Pleased to be joined by 11 on the Ice, WPXI's Jenna Harner. Jenna, how are you? Welcome to Episode 2 of 5th Avenue Face-Off. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be joining you on this and to help you be a little bit of a part of this. I'm super stoked. Yeah, no, I I said to you and several other people who we've had on uh, in the first couple episodes, I just want smart, smart hockey people and you qualify as a smart hockey person. So um, the one thing I did and I, I talked to Jesse Marshall uh, just before we had you on from The Athletic is I like to give people just an idea of how you came to the sport, like how you became a hockey fan, how you decided that it was something that you loved. I know you grew up playing sports, um, played lacrosse at Ithaca, right? Is that? I, yeah, no, I did. I did play lacrosse at Ithaca for one year. I tell people all the time, sophomore year, it was like, hey, do you want to do TV or do you want to play lacrosse? And I like to think that I maybe made the right decision there, um, which is 
fun, but I actually did play hockey growing up a little bit. Um, my dad got me on skates when I was really young. Actually, my first sporting event ever was when I was six months old and God bless my parents, um, took me to a Hartford Whalers game. So that, nice. uh, that, that definitely stems a little bit of where all my hockey love is from. Um, but it's my dad's favorite sport. So always joked, you know, growing up, Oh, it's super sunny. Oh my goodness. Um, growing up my dad was the big hockey fan in the house. My mom's a big football fan. Um, so I kind of got like the perfect marriage of the two of those things. Um, but hockey's just kind of always been my one, a to football being my one B played, um, until, you know, I was about seven or eight years old and I was, you know, four foot, nothing going against like, you know, five foot 10, 12 year old boys for face offs. And I was like, eh, yeah. maybe we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll pull you out of uh, co ed hockey there. So, uh, definitely played a little bit, but grew up. I know this isn't going to be, uh, fun for the viewers, but I did grow up a Boston Bruins fan just because, again, I'm from Connecticut. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not a Patriots fan. So let me, okay. let me have this. Let me have this. And I, I will say the Bruins have been ridiculously fun to watch this season, too, which has been, uh, super exciting. But, yeah. They're, um, they're having a season for the ages. Um, and when I, I, I've always noticed that anybody who's ever been attached to the Whalers in any way, which like you said, it was the first game you ever went to growing up in Connecticut. It's impossible for people who were attached to the Whalers, even by something as minute as just going to a game once in their life. Maybe um, they, ne- they can't not be hockey fans. Like no. any, anybody who has ever, been involved with the whalers like i said even just in the slightest little bit being a fan they end up loving hockey i don't know if it's the brass bonanza i don't know if it's the logo i even after they left people in connecticut are huge enormous hockey fans greatest goal song of all time by the way yes. and yukon men they use that as their goal song and oh we went to a yukon men's game when i was home a couple weeks ago and like my god that is just they scored four goals it's electric they have that like you know blaring through the new arena i'm like this is the greatest thing ever i'm like this is why i love this sport so much that is awesome and um i I didn't realize you played as a kid as well which is very cool um i just imagine you i imagine you having like a little brad marchand streak to you with all the (laughs) being undersized as compared to the the boys two and three years older than you i picture the stick getting up i picture you know the little tugs from behind you know on people's arms as they're trying to carry the puck i could see you being scrappy i could see you being just the kind of depth forward the penguins could use this year little little elbow you know what uh-huh. isn't afraid to you know trash talk a little bit only like when warranted but yeah seven-year-old me definitely um but yeah i mean that is uh yeah that is definitely something the penguins need right now no doubt about that which brings us to the conversation at hand um a lot of people wanting to know what Ron Hextall is doing. Is he cooking anything up the trade deadline just about a month away now? And people want to see him make a move for a depth forward. If he can clear the cap space, they want to see him. I've heard a lot of people, especially given the way Casey DeSmith has played this year in the last month or so, uh, go out and get a veteran backup goaltender. So they're not faced with what they faced last year in the first round against the Rangers, perhaps shed some of that, uh, dead weight that some people consider, say, a Brian Dumoulin, for example, or if they could find somebody uh, to take Jeff Carter off their hands. I've heard people clamor for that as well, but we don't see Ron Hextall necessarily there all the time. I was told last weekend he was at a prospect development thing out in British Columbia. So um, is this 
You know, I talked to Eric Tangrady about it on the first episode of the podcast, and he insisted, listen, the boys are going to get a trip out west not long after they come back from the All-Star break. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that can help bring teams together and re-energize them for the stretch run. He said, I'd wait to see how they come out of that Western trip if I were Ron Hextall before I start making any moves. So where are you at on the personnel currently on this team, what the bottom six looks like, and is this – the other thing I got from Tyler Kennedy the other day was that he said, hey, Ron Hextall's always been very calculated in how he handles things. He's not like what we're used to in Jim Rutherford who would trade a guy just to trade a guy, you know, the, the Carl Hagelin deal, for example. So is this calculated Hextall we're seeing in your opinion or – asleep at the wheel Hextall. I definitely think it is kind of a line in line with what TK was saying, just in terms of, you know, being a little more calculated. It's tough because again, you know, you look at Jim Rutherford and what he's doing in Vancouver right now and them dealing Bo Horvat to the Islanders. And that felt like this big giant thing. That's the Jim Rutherford. And that's kind of the, you know, front office top of the food chain of the penguins that so many fans here have been used to for so long but you know no doubt about the way that they went into the all-star break left a sour taste in everybody's mouths and i think that those last couple that last stretch leading into the break kind of has been a little bit of that storyline of what we've seen so far this season it's been really tough because they've been so up and down and talking with so many people a lot of people said you know the Penguins are sometimes streaky where, you know, they'll win like seven or eight in a row and lose a couple and then win a couple, lose a couple. But like to the extent of what, how they're, how streaky they're being this year, it just feels a little abnormal to me. And you can look at so many different things. I mean, I still am frustrated with the fact that I did not understand the Casey DeSmith um, extension coming into this season. That was one of the off season moves I did not understand at all because of what we've seen. And Unfortunately, we're kind of seeing it play out now and the terms that they gave him and unfortunately too, and we're saying in the same vein, the Jeff Carter extension is looking a little tougher now just based on the way that he's playing. But this is kind of the reality of things with the fact that you are the oldest team in the league and you look at teams like the Buffalo Sabres who have been playing really well. They're the youngest team and I'm not, you know, trying to be like oldest and youngest, but they are, they, you know, they can finish and grind out those 60 minutes and you look at some of the guys on this roster and I think age might be catching up to them a little bit. I'm not saying that for guys like Latang or Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, but I do look at a guy like Jeff Carter and I do wonder if there would be some way he's an ideally some guy that you would want to say, hey, maybe we can package him as part of something, but I just don't entirely know the value of who they have on this team that is kind of, you know, worthy for a trade I don't know if they're going to be able to get what they think that they might need in you know getting a bottom six guy to kind of fill out that third line or that fourth line because we've seen also just the line's going to be a little bit in shambles just based on the personnel available over the last handful of weeks leading into the break here yeah and I I wonder as well I mean look Brian Burke is is sort of fending off questions right about Mike Sullivan even which we're not used to seeing I mean every NHL team goes through a cycle where they consider what to do and is the easiest way to spark things moving on from a head coach. And most NHL teams probably move on too quickly. Um, I don't want to say the Penguins are too committed to Mike Sullivan because I don't think in large part any of this is really Mike Sullivan's fault, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. It's it's on the personnel. It's, it's on the decision that, hey, we are going to remain committed to the core. We're going to m- remain committed to, I guess, the next wave of the core and Gensel and Rusk. None of those guys are going anywhere. So if that's the case, we better hit on how we construct our bottom six. 
And not only have they not hit on how they constructed the bottom six, it's almost all misses across the board. And then you see an Evan Rodriguez, who they'll see on uh, Tuesday night, you know, playing playing next to Nathan McKinnon, albeit due to some injuries, but playing well in Colorado on their top six, the classic move up and down the lineup guy. And they just don't have that. So if A, there's an injury in the top six, or B, somebody needs to be, you know, put in the press box for a week or two in the bottom six, you think Kapanen, who's gone through that a couple of times, there just aren't any reinforcements on this squad because the McGinn's, the Heinen's, the Carter's, as you mentioned, Kapanen, who I brought up, those guys aren't getting it done either. And this is, it's going to have to be do or die, sink or swim with Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, Latang. And exactly like live and die by your top six. But when even Jake Gensel and Brian Rust aren't having the seasons that I'm sure they want to have, especially at this point in the year, then more of those questions come up where you're like, you know, you look at what you know, teams that win the Stanley cup depth is such a huge part of everything that they do and why those rosters are so successful. And you look at the 16 or 17 cup for the Penguins, kind of either or, but I think Brian Rust was on like the third line mm-hmm. for those cup runs. I mean, that in itself kind of speaks to the volume. And of course, you know, he's a great player. I think his extension was something that was really well-deserved and based on the last couple of seasons he's had, but at the same time, some of these terms and these contracts to me, and I think a lot of the fans too, were just kind of a little like, oh, are you sure? And with guys like Latang and Malkin, it's different and you kind of have to look at it through a different lens. But when your top six is not performing well, there are a lot of things that, you know, it's that trickle down effect for so many reasons. But I thought initially too, when they brought Brock McGinn in initially, I thought that was going to be a great move. I really liked him in Carolina. He was kind of that clutch player that like, you know, bottom hat, bottom six guy that you really could rely on to score crucial goals and good moments. And we really, you see glimpses. And I think we started to see some of that in the beginning of the season from him where you're like, Oh wait, this is the Brock McGinn. I think so many fans wanted to see and the player he knew he could be, but then, again just based on the way things have gone it's tapered off a little bit um capping into i just uh, you, you kind of just there and you're like what's going on like what right what is happening and then why do they still have faith in him and i i hate saying that in that negative of a way but why with what you've seen from him up to this point why was it so crucial for them to say hey no we want him here for longer we want him here for an extended period of time when his contract is I I think a little bit more heavy than what it should be and the fact that there are so many nights especially like you said for a couple weeks where he'll be up in the press box he's not even he's a healthy scratch and you sit there and you're like this guy shouldn't be that way and how much of it is him buying into the system how much is you know him not wanting to kind of you know not the penguins letting him just be hey you're a goal scorer go create don't worry about the defensive side of things as much as you you know some of these other guys have to but there's just so many questions right now. And I think that's one of the toughest parts of all of this is like, what can they do? It does feel like they're so handcuffed here. Well, you're right because there's no room for captain on the top six, given his production, but then he's a top six guy. He, he plays like a top six guy. You see him go out there and have a shift or two uh, playing where he's been in the bottom six where you go, okay, that, that that's what we're supposed to see. But then you you wonder if he gets back to the bench and he's reminded that he's in the bottom six by someone and that he's got to play more responsibly or, you know, be more focused defensively. And it just it's impossible for a guy. There are some people I I cited Evan Rodriguez earlier. There are some people who can slide up and down the lineup and play different styles of hockey. It just strikes you, like you said, that Kapanen is overpaid for a guy who isn't able to slide up and down the lineup like that. 
And I love how you mentioned too, you see glimpses of it because I feel like that's exactly what, like how you can sum up the Penguins up to this point. Like we mm -hmm. see glimpses of the success and how good this team can be when they're all bought in, when they're all 100%, when they start fast, when they come out flying. But with especially what we saw the last handful of games leading into the All-Star break, I was like, I feel like every time, you know, I'm running to dinner quick on my dinner break and coming back to Channel 11, I get a notification, like, less than two minutes into the game, the opposing team scores. Like, how many times did that happen the last, even right. just, you know, week and a half, two weeks here? So the next week and a half or two weeks, I'll ask you about what Tangrady had to say the other day on, on the first episode, which was, hey, the boys are headed out west after the game against Colorado. They'll have a week-long trip out that way. Anaheim, LA, San Jose, maybe they get re-energized by being on the road together a little bit. They see this, the, the finish line in sight, sort of. Also knowing that the deadline is only a few weeks away, knowing that every game, every every single point in the standings needs to be captured, given their spot, sort of on the precipice as the second wild card. Would you have the patience to watch them during the course of this road trip, which will which will wrap up on the island on uh, the Friday after next? Would you have the patience, if you were Ron Hextall, if you were the GM of this team, to let things sort of ride over the course of this trip, over the course of the next four to five games, and then decide, okay, now I know I'm all in on the deadline? Or would you feel like you got to get something done? I don't want to say right out of the gate, because I don't know how many teams are looking to deal while they're down in Fort Lauderdale, but would you feel more pressure to get it done sooner? I feel like there definitely is a little bit of that pressure, but I feel like at the same time, going back to what we were saying about Hextall and how calculated he is, and just mm -hmm. he, he's been a very different GM than a lot of the GMs that I've experienced in you know multiple aspects of sports and the guys that we talk with and stuff like that. He is really kind of reserved and kind of keeps things really close to himself. He doesn't want to say the wrong thing, which I respect, no doubt about that. But it is really just interesting and is going to be really intriguing just to see what at what pace they do try and make any moves anything like that but I do think this is something where you're going on the west coast you're playing teams that aren't at the top of the standings I think also to the western division clearly is just not at the caliber where uh the east or the western conference right. is where the eastern conference is just based on looking I mean the metro itself is insane but um I mean look these points are really crucial and this road trip is going to be I think really crucial to see the direction this team is going to go and maybe we're asking the question are they going to be buyers or sellers I don't think by any means they're going to be completely out of the playoff picture at this point but I want to check to make sure uh I'm still uh on top of everything and uh, nothing's changed too much in the last time i checked the standings aka like yesterday but they're kind of right there with the sabers i mean the sabers are yeah one point behind them they're yeah. one point ahead of the sabers for that second wild card spot i do realistically think that they, they probably can overtake washington for that top side just the way that we've seen those two teams play i feel like they're evenly matched but i feel like just the penguins have a little bit more of the edge if you do have a healthy tristan jari but i just i feel like there has to be a little bit of a press from ron hextall to say hey right. look we have to at least be exploring these options which i'm sure that they're doing and i'm sure they're figuring out i just feel like they're so constrained and also too with the cap situation until things go up next year and every team gets a little bit more relief it's going to be so much harder just because of what the market is right now well and you also that's a really good point that i don't think anybody is and you just found it just glancing at the standings really quickly that nobody has really mentioned to this point yes they're sitting there as the second wild card team right now, right on the precipice. And you mentioned with the Sabres nipping at their heels, but they've got four games in hand on the caps 
and they're only three three points back of them. If they could leapfrog the Caps, get out of that wild card position, and get themselves a matchup against, I don't know, the Rangers, uh, against the Devils in the first round, you feel a whole lot better about their opportunity to get to the second round and maybe figure some things out. I mean, you never want to be figuring things out come playoff time, but maybe find a way to get through the first round because if they have to play Carolina or the Bruins in the first round, it's, it's five or six games and done at max. And so you're right. That jockeying for position that's going to happen over the course of the last 30 games or so. I don't think enough people realize having those four games in hand on Washington, especially could be, could be a big boon for them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that has been really weird that I've noticed about the schedule. I'm like, why have the Penguins played so many fewer games than so many of these teams? Mm -hmm. And obviously it's just the schedule and the way things shaked out. But I do also like the idea and the fact that their quote unquote bye week kind of coincided with the all-star break. Cause it was one of those things that felt like it could not have come at a better time for this team. They need this reset here. They need to, you know, soul search, go deep within and figure out what's going wrong. The problem areas that are plaguing them. And because you heard, everybody has heard, you know, um, after this last stretch of games, you know, we know what we need to do. We just have to go out there and do it. We just have to fix it. It's like, okay, well, you're saying these things, but it needs to be proven. It needs to be shown that there are tangible fixes and, you know, that you, this team does come out of the gates and starts a game quickly. And they do kind of, we've seen Mike Sullivan's system is kind of what I'm trying to get around to. And the Mm -hmm. fact that we know that if it's completely executed by all of these players, it tends to bode success. And, you know, as he always says, we want to set ourselves up with the best chance to win. And I think that the players really are still buying into him. I don't think there should be any questions about Mike Sullivan to another point that we were talking about before, but it is going to be, can they all, buy in will they come back from this break kind of refreshed here and say hey look we're turning the page we're moving forward we're past that halfway mark let's go let's get the points that we know that we can get because again we're not talking about a team right now that's Columbus or Montreal or even Detroit this is the Pittsburgh Penguins and they still have a lot of talent it's just a matter of can they utilize it the way that all of those guys know that they can every single night and I think that that's what a lot of the problems have just boiled down to recently and maybe get some goaltending in the playoffs. That would be helpful, yeah. too. Uh, before I let you run, I, I learned something uh, Friday morning about your better half, your fiance, Mike DeFabo, Ooh. who covers the Steelers for the Athletic, used to cover the Penguins. Um, he, had a, he had a pet hedgehog as a kid. Were you aware <laughs> of this? I was. I did know this story. He did have a pet hedgehog as a kid. His family did. They had lots of pets. They had... I think there was like a turtle at one point. There was like a couple of animals, a lot, lots of dogs, lots of like Pittsburgh related name dogs, which I'm like, that's fantastic. So oh, there's Lambert, there's Ham, there's Mean Joe, that, that kind of deal. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. I will say, though, growing up, my brother had a bearded dragon. So that was uh, I don't know if that's like one upping or anything. I think it may be on the same level as a hedgehog. But see, I know people that have like reptiles as pets. I, I'm not down with it, but I know people that do. Like, so a bearded dragon. Okay, I can I can understand that to an extent, even if it's not my bag. A hedgehog, I, it's got like it's like a little mini porcupine. It can poke your hand if you don't pet it the right way, right? 
they're really cute though when you put them in mm. like the bathtub and they spin around and they're just like their little hands. It's you, I tell what, you like Sonic, little, they just spin around. They like they like lay on their backs and just like spin a little bit. It's super super cute. Definitely check out videos of like hedgehogs in the water. They're adorable and people bathe them. It's super well, cute. I know what I'm doing the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> Hedgehog get lost down the rabbit videos. hole. Yes, yes, right down the rabbit hole. Jenna, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being a part of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. We'll check in again periodically if you're okay with that. And as the WPXI uh, Wi-Fi allows. And uh, keep up the great work on 11 on the Ice and all your coverage. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Absolutely. Jenna Harner of WPXI. This is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Thanks again to Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Thanks to Jenna Harner of 11 on the Ice WPXI for joining today. Episode 2 of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. If you like what you've heard in Episode 2 and you didn't catch Episode 1, feel free to go back, download it. Great stuff for both Eric Tangrady and Dave Hansen of the Hansen Brothers from the movie Slapshot. If you've worked your way through each of the first two episodes now and have not yet subscribed for some reason, by all means, do that inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, or however you get your podcast, right? Uh, we'll tweet out all the links at the Chris Mack and at 93.7 The Fan so you know exactly how to get things and get prepared for what is the stretch run here now of the season. A little more than 30 games left, right? The Penguins sit, like I said, as the second wild card in the Eastern Conference with 33 games yet to play. They've technically lost more games than they've won, 24, 16, and 9, if you count those nine overtime losses. Uh, and they went into the break particularly ugly, right? But do they find something? Do they find some re-energization? Not a word, but I just made it one. Uh, that Eric Tangrady talked about on episode one, that Jenna Harner just talked about a moment ago. Look, they better come ready to play game one out of the break because they host the Colorado Avalanche on Tuesday night. And then there's that big Western road trip that we've talked about multiple times, Anaheim, LA, and San Jose. And then they wrap it up cross country on Long Island on February 17th. Five games there in which I think you've got to get, well, you definitely got to beat San Jose. You can't get swept in the season series by the Sharks. And you have to beat Anaheim as well. Although you had to go to OT to beat them at home a few weeks ago. In my opinion, you've got to get mm, at least six points out of those five games start to track down the capitals who are in front of you but again you've got a few games in hand on work your way up the chain of command in the eastern conference and through the standings into a spot where you're not pigeonholed into playing carolina or boston in the first round again we've got about two months to go but there's a month now until the trade deadline. And if Ron Hextall is going to do something, I stand by the fact that he's got to do it sooner rather than later. I appreciate the deliberate methodical approach. I do. It, has it been a big adjustment from what we got from Jim Rutherford? Yes. But do you necessarily want to be deliberate and methodical when you can see that the issues exist and you know where they can be fixed on the bottom six in particular, and perhaps with a second goaltender as well. That's the stuff where you hope Ron Hextall is, it's that old analogy, you hope he's like a duck, right? Like calm above the water and paddling like crazy underneath, trying to set up deals, trying to figure out how he'll move cap space out and bring people in who can help this team fortify 
a playoff appearance for the 17th consecutive season without necessarily having to rely on the top two lines all the time. Although if they're going to go anywhere, once they get to those playoffs, it'll have to be the stars and the goaltending that get them there next week. We bring you episode three of fifth Avenue face off. We will talk to Seth Rohrbaugh who covers the pens for trib live. We will talk to Sean Gentilly who covers the entire league for the athletic. We'll get you ready for that game Tuesday against the Colorado avalanche and that Western road trip as well. Again, get to your odyssey app, a U D a C Y download, subscribe rate and review and tell a friend as well. We appreciate you being a part of it. You can always email or tweet your questions as well at the Chris Mac or Chris Mac at odyssey.com. And thanks again for being a part of it here on fifth Avenue face off.